So welcome to the first US Sports Hub podcast of 2019. I'm Curtis McCosh and joining me on the phone is Adam McKendry. What have you just done on the screen? There's a load of stars that flashed on the screen. I've discovered there are filters uh, for Facebook Messenger, so I've accidentally just brought one of those up and now I'm very eager to kind of... <laughs> I think they're very like Snapchat filters. But yeah, man, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. This is so hard to take seriously. You kind of look a bit like, oh god, I don't know what's going on there now. Um... Right, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it off. I'll take it off. Oh no! <laughs> yes, I'm all good. It's good to see that our professionalism has come through with us to 2019. Um, yeah. How was your Christmas, and How was your New Year? All good. Christmas was good, New Year was good, very quiet. I worked a lot, so I didn't really get to do much. But yeah, it was it was good. Um, one of the good things is American sport doesn't stop over Christmas. Exactly, they just keep yeah. going. Like the Celtics were playing on Christmas Day, so that was even better. That's right. I remember you wanted to do a podcast on Christmas Day, and I kind of I entertained the idea of it, and then it got to Christmas Day, and I went, nah, it's Christmas Day, I'm not going to bother. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I had two full weeks off work. It was class, which is why you haven't heard from us for a while. I just couldn't be bothered going up the stairs or anything just to... I know. I'm, so, I'm embarrassed. Uh... I'm embarrassed on your behalf, mate. Well, we're back. We are back now. We we're have back. missed some very good stuff, but we've got a lot of very good stuff coming up. Uh, obviously, we're on FaceTime today. You have, you're not in the studio. There have been some changes since you were... I'm going to turn the camera on and oh. show you the changes. Um, ah. Yeah, there's a, there's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers shirt on the wall now um because i knew you would love that yeah i'm very impressed <laughs> so uh obviously it's a new year but it is the same podcast we're talking about american football basketball ice hockey and baseball i'm still very much a casual fan trying to learn stuff and <laughs> in my uh in my quest to learn stuff i am latching on to adam who is very much the guy with the knowledge and I'm very afraid of being the guy with the knowledge but <laughs> I'll take it. Making it sound like I know what I'm talking about, so thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, obviously, just before we crack on to the American stuff, what a weekend for the Belfast Giants. Yeah, doubleheader over uh, the Sheffield Steelers. Big overtime win on Saturday night. Big comeback win on Sunday night. Patrick Dreyer was immense. I what mean, a guy. We're talking about the NHL, <clears throat> former NHLer Patrick Dwyer lighting up the SSC at the weekend. Unbelievable, unbelievable performance. Game winner on Saturday. Hat trick on Sunday. Couldn't really ask for more. What from a him. guy! What um, a guy! But we, but we have to talk about the women's college hockey. The friendship of course, yeah. coming over to Belfast as well. You know, we've had the friendship four for so many years, and it's been going so well. And now the women's college hockey teams are over Northeastern Highland Huskies and the Claxon Golden Knights. And you know what? The standard of the hockey was really good. You know, these girls were absolutely fantastic in the. Just the speed of the game and the skill set that they have, really impressed. And it was great to see such a big crowd come out and see it as well. It was good that tickets were free. People were able to come in. There's no excuse for people not to go. And they got fantastic crowds in. Uh, and I think the girls all really, really loved their experience. So I'm hoping this is the first year of what will be yeah. many years to come. And that was the first ever international college hockey games outside of the States, wasn't it? First ever women's college hockey Sorry, women's, sorry, yes. Because um, the friendship four obviously beat them to that with the men's, but yeah, for, first ever women's college hockey games outside of uh, North America, which is amazing. You know, Belfast continue to break down barriers there, and it's always great to see other cultures playing. You know, because even though we get to see the Giants every week, they just to see how these girls play is a whole new experience. It's a whole new experience for them as well. 
uh, it's so beneficial for both sides and it's fantastic. And it was kind of nice the way it was tied in with the uh, Giants-Steelers games as well because it was like a whole weekend, like a big festival of hockey, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was actually, that was something that was also really good because you ended up, you know, just getting down to the arena for, what, three o'clock on the, on the Saturday. You sit down, watch the game, uh, and then you're sort of building yourself up for the Giants game uh, in the evening, which was... Uh, which is even better. So it's it's something that they've done before with, like we're we're gonna get to do it again this week with the Continental Cup, where yeah. you know you have the other teams playing in the afternoon and the Giants play at night. I I just love it. I just love being able to go there and sit down all day and just enjoy hockey. Because one of the things even more was whenever you're watching the girls, you, you can just enjoy it. You can just watch it and not have any bias or any yeah. Uh, prejudice going in. It's you know you're just enjoying the hockey, and then you get to the Giants Steelers, and it's like right game hat on this is the rivalry let's go and it's uh, it's always a little bit sweeter against the Steelers isn't it oh it always is always I asked uh, Paddy Dwyer afterwards you know was it a bit sweeter and he went you know all, all games are are important and I was like yeah. no no, no <laughs> it's a bit sweeter isn't it yeah, just a bit. <laughs> just a bit. And uh, I, we're, we're going to uh, give our props to another podcast here at the minute, the guys from the uh, A View from the Bridge, just because the uh, the interview they did with Tom Barrasso that was never an interview. Um, you obviously, <laughs> that, that that was some of the best stuff I've ever seen. So, uh, so I, well I done there. to those guys. I was there in the room when they recorded it. Oh, really? And, <laughs> um, it was very hard to not to laugh out loud. <laughs> it, was, it was really clever. Credit to Simon Kitchen. Yeah. It's, Kitchy's birthday today, so oh, happy birthday! To this. Happy birthday, Simon Kitchen! Um, but that that was comedy genius. Hats off great. to those but guys. The fallout, the fallout from it as well was even better. But uh, we don't have time to get into all of that. No, that was about four days worth of uh, of Twitter spats, wasn't it? But yeah. Yeah, it, it was brilliant to follow along with. So hats off to those guys. Let's get into it. Let's talk some NFL because we have obviously with this taking a couple of weeks off, we missed uh, the sort of end of the regular season and stuff, and we missed build up to the the wildcard games but we've seen them now we know who's going where uh, we'll start taking a look at some of the wildcard scores and we'll go to the Texans first it was the Texans 7 Colts 21 so the Colts are into the playoffs the Colts are into the playoffs and they're riding a real wave uh, and I think that's the most important thing I've talked about this for a few weeks before we went <laughs> off um, it's so important that you take your momentum on and I think the Colts are doing that which is the most important thing they're not the best team in the playoffs I don't think they'll even claim they're the best team in the playoffs, but they're probably the team who have the most confidence right now just because they're on that winning run. They know they can do it. They feel like they can do it. Andrew Luck was brilliant, 222 yards with the passing, two touchdowns. What what the Colts did was they just blitzed them from the start, and I think that was the most impressive thing. You know, it, it wasn't like they were trying to stretch things out. They just blitzed them from the start and then said, all right, we've got this lead. You come and get us. Yeah. And the Texans just couldn't live with that. Deshaun Watson Deshaun Watson has been so good for them during the for the Texans during the regular season. And then he just couldn't do it in the postseason. Look, it's his first postseason start. <clears throat> Let's not write him off as a as a potential yeah. Super Bowl winner or anything because he lost this one. Players do tend to struggle in their first postseason start. But it, it wasn't what the Texans needed, and I think that that's possibly why they're maybe one year too early that Watson needed yeah. that sort of introduction to the postseason. He'll be disappointed it went the way it did, but look, I think the Colts just played a perfect road game here. They they came in, they blitzed Watson, 
Uh, they gave Lock and Armchair ride that uh, that offensive line was just brilliant in their blocking, and and basically once it, once it got to <clears> half time, the Colts just turned to their defense and they got it done. They got it done, and uh, you're saying about needing that playoff experience. You sort of even when you're watching it in TV, you hear the difference in the games, don't you? Compared to a regular season game to a wild card, the, the noise in the stadium, the way the players are fired up. So it is, it's a different experience, and you do oh, need yeah. to build that. Oh, of course. Like you know, no, nobody is a postseason genius in their first year in the NFL. Uh, I know this is Watson's second year, but it's still his first postseason yeah. appearance. You need to build up that experience, and that's just something that comes over time. You can have the best team around you. You know, you, you need your rookies to to build up to get that experience because unless unless you know it's it's one guy. In a, in a lineup, you know, you, you can sort of hide them for most of the game. You can't hide your quarterback, especially someone who is as good as Deshaun Watson is whenever you, we've seen what he can do during the regular season. Like, he, he's just got to build it up. This, is, this isn't a slight on who he is as a quarterback. Yeah. He's a very good quarterback. He, ju- he just needs that experience, and that's what he's gotten this year, and he'll be very eager after this year to take them back to the playoffs next year well we'll come back to the Colts in a second because they're in the divisionals we will go to uh, Dallas now who very very tight win against the Seahawks I thought the Seahawks would have this but Cowboys 24 Seahawks 22 you know what I was really impressed with the Dallas defense they got it done when they needed to they really closed down the space um, for Russell Wilson to work in and I thought that was very good because Wilson is the kind of guy who, if you give him space, he can rush. And if you give him the time to pass, he'll find his receivers, which is, you know, basically what you want from your quarterback. But Dallas just played that sort of swarm defense where you kind of come in around him as opposed to straight through him. And I think that's what sort of caused him to to panic because Seattle's uh, Seattle's defense just wasn't giving him the cover or the the uh, well the the coverage the defensive coverage that he needed. On the on the contrast to Deshaun Watson, I think Dallas have set themselves up really well now because Dak Prescott's got his first postseason win. Yeah. At the first time of asking, or sorry, the sorry the first time asking this year, Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was really big in this one, and this is what they drafted him to do. This is what they wanted him to be. They wanted <laughs> him to be that explosive running back, that game changing player. And he gets 137 yards in that go-ahead touchdown in the game. That's where your big players step up. And that's where I think the Cowboys did really well here. They they didn't need to be great. They just needed their great players to be great. And they got that from Elliott. They got that from Prescott. And that's the kind of thing that can lead you through the postseason. If the rest of your roster isn't firing, if a couple of your big names stand up, put in some real lung-busting efforts... You can get through a game, and it was Elliot that made the difference in this one. As good as the Cowboys' defense was, Elliot was the difference maker, and that's exactly what they wanted from him. And again, we'll come back to the Cowboys in just a second. Let's go to Baltimore. It was the Ravens 17 and the Chargers 23. Really impressed by the Chargers because whenever you come into a postseason game having lost against an opponent earlier in the season, there's always that mental thing in your mind where you're just going, uh, is this going to go the same way? But what it was very, very clear that they learned from that game. They made life hell for uh, Lamar Jackson. We'll talk about him in a second because I'm still really impressed with him. But they they just closed down the space. There was no space for him to work in. And as a result, he had a hard time. Melvin Ingram was 
phenomenal like performance of the weekend by a long way. Six tackles, two sacks, game-winning force fumble and recovery. He was just immense on defense, just all around. He was absolutely superb. That that for me signals a team that knows what it's doing. Whenever they were able to look at how they played against Baltimore earlier in the season, and they said, "Right, here's what we've got to do," da 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 da, and they got it done. They turned it round. That shows that there's a lot of intelligence in that team. There's a lot of ability to work out what they need to do. There's just a lot of tactical nice in that team, and I think they can take that a long way. Did they get a bit lucky against the Ravens? I think they did. I mean, they were gifted with a lot of good field position. Um, Baltimore's punting wasn't fantastic, whereas the Chargers was. It, ju- it just helped with getting the right field position. But look, I'm putting the Chargers as my dark horses to win the whole thing. If they, if that roster stays healthy, it's quietly one of the best in the postseason, and it can definitely make a big difference whenever it comes down to it. Uh, just on the subject of Lamar Jackson, do you, you think he played really well? A lot of Baltimore fans tend to disagree with that. They wanted Joe Flacco on the field. What do you think? Look, I wouldn't say Lamar Jackson played well because he... I can't remember exactly what I said just a minute ago, but you I said I he was impressive. You were impressed with him, right? Yes, I will expand on that. Okay. I don't think I don't think he was good because he wasn't helped by his O line, but at the same time he wasn't getting it done. Your quarterback still has to get it done. If you're yeah. getting no, if you're getting no protection from your uh, from the guys in front of you, you still got to try and then work out plays like short plays down the side to get you yards. So it's, you know, you, you can't blame everything on getting no protection. And I think that's what Jackson was maybe trying to do. But you saw that comeback that he was trying to spark, those two massive passes towards the end of the game. I thought whenever the chips were down, he suddenly pulled out a couple of really big plays that they really needed. And I think that's something that will stand him in good stead. We could dedicate a whole podcast talking to the Jackson versus... Yeah. Uh, Versus Joe Flacco debate. At the end of the day, I think they're going with uh, Jackson now on a permanent basis. He's going to be their quarterback going forward. Like you got to remember, he's only twenty-two. Exactly. You know, he's he's so young. He's got such a big upside to him. And if he can get a couple of years under his belt as the Ravens' starting quarterback, maybe maybe even a year, he could be leading these guys deep into the postseason. As for Flacco, he's off. You know, he's he's going to be with a new team next year. He's not going to. Uh, be happy playing second fiddle to someone else so he's going to go find a new team preferably one that will be that has postseason aspirations next year but at the look he's, he's still quality but yeah. at, this stage, uh, at this stage of his career he might just be looking for another big payday before he rides off into the sunset per- personally i think he could still have postseason aspirations but it all depends how much teams want to pay for him because he, he's not going to be one of the cheaper quarterbacks on the market he's going to require a premium rate and his performances haven't been good enough over the last few years for baltimore to justify that i would maybe like the same at tampa bay i think that'll be nice that'll be a nice fit <laughs> i think he'd be i i don't think tampa bay would take him and we'll expand on that a little bit later yeah. on um but uh, he would he would be a good fit there, but I don't think Tampa Bay will take him. Uh, Certainly not this year. Let's go to the last of the wild card games then. The game which I didn't really want to talk about because it's maybe going to make us sound a bit stupid. If you go back maybe four or five episodes, I think we maybe at one point said, "See the Eagles, stick a fork in them, they're done." Um, 
<laughs> they're now through the divisionals. A really, really tight game against the Bears, winning 16-15, just one point in it. That was a proper wild card game, wasn't it? Never bet against Nick Foles. Every time you write him off, he just comes back yeah. and he does it again. But we have to start with the double doink. We can we cannot talk about anything else other than the double doink. You've got a field goal to win it. You've got a field goal to go ahead. Cody Parkey, it's it's not a tough field goal. All you gotta do is stick it through the post. I could do that. And he manages to hit it off the post and the crossbar. I was listening to all the different calls from around the world on it, you know, Danish, Mexican, <laughs> um, then you've got the Eagles Spanish network. Uh, and the guy's going, no, senor, no, senor. <laughs> it's absolutely mad. If, if you get a chance, go listen to it. It's yeah. absolutely hilarious. But it, it's so ironic that, you know, the Bears haven't trust Parky all season. They haven't gone out and replaced him either. And he comes back to cost them yeah. in the wild card. At, at the end of the day, the defense didn't do it for Chicago. They needed the defense to stand up big. Philly weren't brilliant on offense. And yet the Bears couldn't limit them to the to the least or to the to lower them fifteen points whenever their offense wasn't really getting sparked. Mitchell Trubisky was still good, but and he was linking with Allen Robinson very well, but they needed that defense to stand up big on the other side. At the end of the day, I think Philly deserved it. You know, yeah. I think if Chicago had come back and won it, then it then it would have been a, a bit of a heartbreaker because Jason Peters and Liam Johnson kept Khalil Mack quiet. Jordan Hard and Tariq Cohen were practically non-factors for them, uh, for the Bears in the running game. Nick Foles, 25, or 25 completions from 40 attempts, 266 yards. Philly were the better team here. Yeah. And I, I think if Parkey kicked that, it would have been, uh, been an injustice, but... Trayvon Hester comes up big, he gets the palm on the ball, and he manages to deflect it onto the post. And Chicago, I think, get penalized for uh, for not going out and getting a new kicker because that's one of the easiest positions you can replace. Such a it's so strange from a team that we've who are so defensively minded to just be sort of absent in that game. Like they've got Khalil Mack, they they pride themselves in that defensive unit, just wasn't there. Well, you know what? On any other night, this probably still would have been a good defensive performance from yeah. Chicago. You know, 16 points will win you the majority of football games. On this occasion, though, it wasn't good enough. And therefore, you say the defense wasn't good enough. You need to be limiting teams to less points than yourselves. If your offense isn't getting it done, then your defense has to get it done. Their defense did get it done to a certain extent, but they needed to get it done to a bigger extent yeah. because... Their offense wasn't clicking. And whenever the offense isn't clicking, you need the defense to step up. So it's sort of a vicious circle here. They they needed more from their defense, um, which it, it, it's one of the most ironic uh, eliminations I've ever seen, purely over the fact that their kicker, who they haven't trusted all year, let them down. Yeah. And their, uh, their defense, which they have trusted all year, not necessarily let them down, but needed to do better. Uh, I suppose we'll stick with the Eagles then. Uh, they are still in the hunt for that second Super Bowl in a row, and they've got a big game now coming up against the Saints, Drew Brees and the Saints. That's going to be a tough game for them in the divisionals, isn't it? I'll say it again. Every time we count out Nick Foles, he comes well, back and does it again. You maybe know? we shouldn't do it this time. <laughs> I think... Well, <laughs> I was reading a piece uh, on CBS last night where he was saying, you know, it's kind of like every time you go out... Uh, 
every time you go out drinking and you come back the next day with a hangover and you say, oh, I'm never drinking again. And the week, a week later, you're away out. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, look, you, your heart says you want to go for foals. Your head says you have to go for the Saints. We, we talked about how the Chargers overcame that loss to Baltimore during the regular season to beat them in the postseason. You've got to remember that the Saints hammered the Eagles 48-7 yeah. during the regular season. Like that's, that's such a boost for the Saints coming into this game, if they even needed it. You know, they're, they're first seeds for a reason. They've just been the best team in the NFL, and they come in with that kind of, you know, one-up on their opponents. I don't see the Eagles winning this, to be honest. I mean, we've said that before. They get it done, but I really don't, especially in in New Orleans. One of the big things is I don't think the Eagles' secondary has improved enough from uh, from that 48-7 loss. Bree should be able to just pick his targets and have a field day here, in my opinion. So, look... The Eagles, the, the magic of fools continues on, but it's got to come to an end at some point. They're not going to win the Super Bowl like this, and I'd be very surprised if they manage to get it done against what should be a rampant Saints team this weekend. Yeah, let's go to the Colts. Uh, they are taking on the Chiefs. That is a Saturday night game, so it's going to be an interesting game as well. The Chiefs were looking really, really good um, sort of midway through the regular season, started to sort of tail off towards the end of the regular season. The, the Colts will feel like they have a chance here. Well, you've got to remember what a weird end to the season it was. You yeah. know, everyone was losing really strange games as we sort of came down the stretch. It was like nobody wanted home field advantage in the in the playoffs. The, the Chiefs, for me, they're still an offensive juggernaut. You know, Patrick Mahomes is going to be MVP. Um, and they've still got Tariq Hill, um, Travis Kelsey, guys like that. You know, offensively, they're still red hot. It's their defense that's the problem. And in particular, their passing defense has been awful. So whenever you consider that they're going up against Andrew Luck, who is probably the second most talked about quarterback in the league behind Mahomes, um, they're going to need a lot more. And even going forward in the postseason, if they were to win this game, you know, they need to improve. But history goes against the Chiefs here. You know, they haven't won a postseason game since 1993 and the Colts are 4-0 against them whenever they meet in postseason games so that history just doesn't look good for the Chiefs if they're going to have yeah. to do it they're going to have to beat all the stats against them um, and if there's one coach in the NFL that you wouldn't trust to win a playoff game it's Andy Reid who seemingly throws the tactics book out the window and decides to go all gung-ho and off the cuff whenever it comes down to games like this on the Colts side they need their offense to click to keep up with the Chiefs. I think they don't, they're not going to struggle with that because the Chiefs' defense is so bad. Yeah. But they need it to be producing. You know, every drive, every drive has to end up in a score because you know that the Chiefs are going to do something similar going the other way, and that's that's the key. It's whoever maximizes their returns from their drives because I feel like it's going to be a game where there are not too many fourth fourth nights. Yeah. I think you're going to find a lot of drives are going to be, you know, tit for tat. Who can get a touchdown here? You get a field goal there. We're going to go back and score another touchdown. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game, and it's all about who can get those touchdowns. Like you say, the Colts are riding that wave. Exactly. Um, 
sometimes that can count for a lot more than any other stat in the game. Just whenever you have that winning mentality, that winning feeling. They've won 10 of their last 11. You know, these guys just know how to win at this point. Uh, let's go to Dallas then. The Cowboys taking on the Rams. That is at one fifteen in Sunday morning. Now, obviously the Rams are my Super Bowl pick, so I'm going to have to go mm. for the Rams here. But it, it'll be a tough game for them. Of course it will be. Um, because the Cowboys, you saw them against uh, Seattle. They they do know how to get it done whenever the chips are down. Ezekiel Elliott's given the ball, let him do his thing, and good things will happen. It just happens like that. In fact, Todd Gurley against Ezekiel Elliott. Oh baby, what a what a matchup that is. You know that yeah. that's worth the entrance fee alone. So that that's one reason to watch this. Look, the Rams' offense is so electric. You just can't wait to see him turn it on in the postseason. I feel like Sean McVay will have something special worked out for this one. I think he he uh, he'll know exactly what to do in the postseason. Cowboys, you gotta exert outside pressure on Jared Goff through Demarcus Lawrence and Tyrone Crawford. You gotta force him back into the pocket and that lets your linebackers get to him and that's how you can stifle him. But this is just another one where offense offenses are gonna come out on top. If Goff can click, if Goff can settle into that postseason <laughs> mode then I think it's going to be very hard to stop the Rams because they, they just have all those outlets for him to go to um, as opposed to the Cowboys. Who Look, Amari Cooper's been doing brilliant for them, but with all due respect to uh, to Prescott, he doesn't have the same uh, receiving core as Goff has at, at his uh, disposal. So this, this is going to be one of the closer ones, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think it's going to... I think the Rams are going to do it, but you know, it's it's going to be so tight. Um, last but not least, then we'll go to the other side of LA. The Chargers taking on the Patriots. Now, the Patriots were looking at having to play a first wild card game for the first time in 10 years. Didn't happen. They've got themselves the bye and they're taking on the Chargers. They'll be well rested, whereas the Chargers, tight game last, last week, they might be feeling a bit of fatigue, I suppose. I was devastated whenever the Patriots got into got by the wild card <laughs> Really frustrated. I would love um, to see them in a wild card game. Yeah, I know. Love to see it. <laughs> How would they deal with it? Would they even show up? Would they just assume that it wasn't taking place? Yeah. <laughs> um, funny that you mentioned that the Patriots should be rested. If any team in the NFL needs it, it's the Patriots with that aging roster. You know, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski will be much better for having a week off than if they had had to play last week. They'll be refreshed and they're ready to go. The thing about the Patriots is you never pick against them in the divisional round. They're 7-0 and in the divisional round, so that we know this about them. They just know how to get it done in the postseason, so that, that's one of the most dangerous things about any team, particularly the Patriots. They, just, they can get it done, and they know how to get it done, but Chargers have the more talented roster. I just think, just flat out, I think they have the better team, and I think if they turn up and they play. They have the they have the better chance of winning. I think this is where the upset comes from. I think the Chargers get it done. And you mentioned before that the Chargers then are your dark horse for the for the whole thing. Yeah. Is that I, who you're I, going? I, sorry, is that who you're going to go with? Because obviously your Super Bowl pick didn't make it to the to the postseason. Minnesota. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll try, we'll try and breeze over that. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> so you're going for the Chargers then? Yeah, the Chargers are taking over the mantle as my. Uh, Super Bowl team, which is ironic because the Bears would have taken it uh, before yeah. the postseason began. 
uh, and they obviously didn't turn out so well. So maybe I'm just maybe I'm putting the scud on teams. Maybe I should go for the Patriots in the hope that they're knocked out. I was reading an interesting thing the other day, and it was that in the last five years, no wildcard team has actually made it to to the Super Bowl final. Mm-hmm. So um, you think the Chargers are going to do it then? Do you think they could be the first team in five years to do it? I think they absolutely could be. I, I think they just, again, it's all about keeping that roster healthy. If they have everybody available to them, I think they have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. So if they can keep everyone healthy, they can do it easily. So big weekend then in the NFL. Eight final teams are going to come down to four. It's going to be quite interesting. And uh, my Super Bowl pick, the Rams, still in there. Looking forward to seeing how they do. Generally, there's a lot going on already, although the season isn't over with the teams that didn't make it to the postseason. A lot of stuff's starting to happen. We've had the firings. I'm not going to sort of cheer about the firings today. Instead, I'm going to cheer about the hirings. We'll go to the one that I'm interested in in a second, but let's start with Green Bay, who needed to make a change. Well, yeah, they needed to. They were sort of just muddling behind until the end of the year, and then now they've brought in Matt LaFleur. Just a bit of background in case anybody doesn't know who he is. It's his first head coach role. He's been offensive coordinator with the LA Rams and the Tennessee Titans in the last two years, so he does have the pedigree, um, which I think they needed. One of the big things that I think they looked for whenever they were going to bring someone in, and probably why Matt LaFleur was their first choice, because they got him so quickly, he had to be the first choice. There was no time for anyone to turn them down. But he has to get Aaron Rodgers firing again, because he's so important to Green Bay. Uh, And LeFleur has previous in terms of getting ailing quarterbacks back to their best. He did it with Robert Griffin III in Washington, Matt Ryan in Atlanta. He kicked off Jared Goff's career out in L.A. You know, it's it's actually uncanny how the problem that LeFleur faces now is exactly the same as what Mike McCarthy had whenever he took over with Brett Favre, where he had to get him back and kicking again. So from one guy who's coming into his first head coaching role, Tampa Bay have brought in, I suppose, what you could call one of the legends of the game. Yeah, two-time Super Bowl winning coach Bruce Arians is back. Um, his retirement lasted long. I know he, he was slated <laughs> for the Cleveland job whenever it came up earlier this year, and he decided it was too early, but I think that was kind of him saying, actually, yeah, I am going to come back. Look, he has the pedigree. He's the exact kind of guy that, Tampa Bay needed, they needed experience in. He's the perfect coach to bring along Jameis Winston in what is a make-or-break season for for the quarterback. He's in the final year of his rookie deal. He's got an impressor. He's going to be out the door. And I think Arians will also bring along guys like Chris Godwin, you know, that that young talent that the Buccaneers have. He's, He's the exact kind of guy who knows how to get the best out of them. I'm just looking forward to uh, the Cardinals reunion with all those coaches. No yeah. doubt he'll make a big push to get all those guys into Tampa Bay. But I think it's a really, really smart uh, decision to bring Arians in. Just uh, just talking about the Cardinals reunion then, uh, if you're not familiar with Bruce Arians, if you're listening you're not familiar with him, definitely check out the series on Amazon Prime, All or Nothing. Have you seen it? I haven't actually, no. Oh, I've it's heard in- of it. But it's incredible. So uh, the first one that they ever did was with the Arizona Cardinals and Bruce Arians was the coach. And uh, it was their 2015 season where they weren't really projected to do too much and sort of nearly went the whole way. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely worth a watch if you get a second. 
Okay. Um, let's stick with the Arizona Cardinals. I know you don't have it down here, but I was just reading while you were um, off on the phone there that they've brought in a new coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one as well because he's very much an inexperienced player or er, player uh, coach as well. He's never been up at the NFL level, but they certainly rate him very highly in terms of what he's able to do. And again, he's in so quickly that he must have been their first choice. Yeah. So it makes sense that they they've been impressed by what they've heard. That'll be an interesting one. I don't know a lot about. Uh, Kingsbury, and I'll, I'll I'll just leave that there because I, I I don't know much about him, so I don't know what he's going to bring. But in terms of a, a first time NFL role, it's a pretty safe one because expectations are quite low in Arizona at the moment. It's a chance for him to come in, put his own mark on the team, and get going from there. There's no no prerequisites or anything like that. He'll be given free reign. It'll be interesting to see what he does there. So uh, all change in the teams where we expected to see change. Just before we wrap up, um, there were some teams you didn't see in the postseason that you expected to see in the postseason. Obviously, Minnesota were one of those teams. That's not a dig, by the way. They were one of those teams that I think we all expected to see in the postseason. They just weren't there. And the other one is obviously the Steelers. Yeah, I know. Um, well, we- it's tough to talk about the Steelers because everyone expected so much from them. And then Le'Veon Bell didn't play. Antonio Brown wasn't exactly delighted with what was going on. They got some great running backs below that, but their defense just never really stood up to the test. And now Antonio Brown wants away. It's been a really turbulent year. And for, for the Steelers to come as close as they did to the postseason with everything that was going on, I, I think they actually should get a bit of credit for what they've done. But now things could just fall apart. You know, Bell could easily leave. Um, Antonio Brown now is requesting his trade away. It won't happen. You know, Pittsburgh are never going to agree to that. But it's interesting that he requested it because he clearly wants out. And that clearly suggests there's a lot of things wrong there in Pittsburgh. I don't have the insider knowledge to know exactly what it is, but things aren't going well. As a so, team, do you think they stick with Mike Tomlin as head coach? I think if they were going to fire him, they'd have done it by yeah. now. I, I th- it, it may still happen, but I think if they were going to get rid of him, they would have got rid of him uh, last week at some point. So I, I think they're going to stick with him. The, pro- the problem now is how do you fill that roster? Because say you do lose Brown and you lose Bell... That's that's your two key components of that offense gone. Ben Roethlisberger is still quality that he'll make things happen regardless of who he's throwing to or handing the ball off to. But it's no doubt you're losing two elite talents from that uh, from that offensive core. So the Steelers are in a make or break situation here. You either step things up and get those two guys to stay and commit, or you go into a rebuild because if, if you do trade Antonio Brown, you're getting a top quality haul back. You're getting a massive haul back. Yeah. So interesting times ahead for Steelers fans, not necessarily in the good sense. And Steelers fans are noisy fans, so uh, something is going to need to be done there. And we are looking ahead to divisional weekend then. So shall we turn our attention to some basketball? Let's go. 
So we're well into the NBA season 2019 now, and we'll take a look at the thick of the action now. It kills me to say this, and I have a feeling you've put this in right at the start for my benefit. You, you'll notice the t-shirt I've got on today, Nick's t-shirt. So obviously we're going to start by talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for uh, that. I will, I will be honest, I forgot about that, but <laughs> even better. Um, yeah, no, the Nets are on the tear right now. They've won 12 of their last 16. They're back into the playoff picture. Even though this is a team that we said at the start of the year would be a fun young team to watch that maybe wouldn't do much in terms of uh, in terms of actually winning something. Um, you know, now they're suddenly back in the playoff picture, which is amazing. Ironically, Spencer Dinwiddie's new deal seems to have brought out the best in D'Angelo Russell, and he's now suddenly become that superstar that they needed to be. He's posted 18.3 points per game, 7.2 assists per game, and 3.6 rebounds over the last 11, and that's including sort of a down stretch towards the end of that as well. So I, I think the, the Nets are sort of projecting on the right way at the moment, and if Dinwiddie and Russell can continue to lead the roster, you know, you, you don't need sort of great guys behind. You just need guys who are going to chip in when they when they can, and they're doing that. The problem is, can Russell keep that uh, keep that sort of stretch going? And the thing is, I think they need some sort of veteran help to get them to that next level. Maybe you pursue that at the trade deadline. Maybe you say, this year isn't our year to properly compete. You know, yeah. we get into the playoffs, but we won't actually compete for the championship. Um, and then you go out in free agency and you look at bringing someone in. But for, for the moment, these guys are going pretty well. And they, they are a fun team to watch, which is... Uh, which is one of the big things. Yeah, it's always a bonus. They are starting to look like a team who could make a bit of a playoff run. They're not the only ones. Uh, the Spurs are in there too as one of those teams who you didn't expect them to be there, but they're looking good. Spurs have won their last five and 13 of their last 16. Like they're, they're in an even better run. We probably should have started with them, to be honest. Derek White is performing well again. DeMar DeRozan has been tremendous. And they capped it off by ruining Kawhi Leonard's return to San Antonio. Um DeRozan's revenge saw him land his first triple double of the year or of, of his career even um, I went back and watched the highlights of that game because people were talking about what an atmosphere it was it was incredible like in terms of a regular season game that you know if, if you look at the schedule in isolation it's just one more game on the way to the on the way to the uh, end of the regular season but the atmosphere in that arena was amazing uh, too big for a regular season game there's a lot on the line there I think they really wanted to get one over in Toronto yeah and um, let's go to the Western Conference then where the Denver Nuggets have been having a bit of a turbulent time with uh, injuries and stuff like that they're starting to gain that momentum again aren't they they are they're getting healthy again and this is both a good thing and a bad thing but a bad thing in a good way and I'll explain that in a second Paul Millsap and Gary Harris are both back injury will barton and isaiah thomas are following suit they'll be coming back in in the in the next couple of weeks um the bad news where do they fit everyone in and you know that's why it's a good thing it's a good problem to have that you have so many guys because you look at the likes of malik beasley monte morris juan hernan gomez they've all played themselves into a spot in that rotation um but then you bring Millsap and Harris back in and they've got to come back in because they're your top line guys. Barton and Thomas have to come back into consideration as well. And all of a sudden, you know, you don't have five guys who are going to be in that starting five. You have seven guys. Yeah. 
seven into five doesn't go. So you have to find a way to keep everyone happy without taking out guys too often. It's it's a really tough one that they've got to try and strike the balance with. But I think they will. I think they'll they'll find a way and it also opens up the possibility of making a big trade and getting some maybe some good bench help that is happy to sit on the bench. Yeah. Um, as opposed to one of these guys who probably won't be too happy to be sitting on the bench regularly. But look, the Nuggets are going pretty well at the moment, and now that they've got a lot of their guys back, they can really start to make a huge uh, huge push for the top of the table. Yeah, they've got themselves sitting at the top of the Western. A couple of places down, the Houston Rockets, who are looking good again. James Harden leading those guys to success. Sorry, yes, I, I should have said Denver should be making a push to hold on to that top spot. Um, James... <laughs> James Harden, right, I want to dedicate the whole podcast to James Harden at the moment, but we can't, so... No, you can, go ahead, Harden, let's do it. Harden, th- this is amazing, I'm just going to read out the stats, Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. Harden has 10 straight games with 35 points and 5 assists, and 5 straight games of 40-plus points. That included a 44-15-10 line, triple-double, and he got the game-winning 3 in overtime at Golden State. He's joined Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant as the third player to score 400-plus points in a 10-game span, scoring most points, assists, and rebounds in that stretch too. Houston have won 12 of their last 14 and are on a stunning run. What more could you ask for if you're a Rockets fan? It's it's an incredible run at the moment. If Harden is named MVP this year, it's this week that did it for him. Because that's just an otherworldly stretch. He's been outstanding. So yeah, good times down there in Houston. Um, he's putting up a lot, isn't he? Let's go to Philadelphia, where one player never to be outdone in the news in terms of news coverage and stuff like that. He's not going to be outdone by James Harden. We're going to talk about Jimmy Butler, who's managed to work himself into uh, press coverage again. Butler reportedly aggressively, and I'm reading out something from a news article that I read, Butler reportedly aggressively challenged head coach Brett Brown over his role in the team. Yeah, that apparently he was disrespectful to the coach, and that just doesn't fly. You have to be a team player. you know. I, I understand players being dis, disappointed with how much court time they're getting, how much, uh, how much time in the ball they're getting, but there are ways and means to do that without aggressively approaching your coach and asking him, yeah. what the heck are you doing? You know, I, I don't like this from Butler. He didn't cover himself in glory with uh, um, the Minnesota. Whole, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, with, with uh, I forgot the name of the team there. Um, with how he handled himself in that regard. And now he's not doing it with the 76ers either. He had a great game last night, ironically. Um but you know, whenever you come into a team, you have you have to do what uh, what the coach wants. And if he wants out, request a trade. Don't aggressively attack your coach. Um, ironically, the 76ers are doing quite well at the moment. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are firing again. They've won six of their last eight. You know, on court things aren't the pro- aren't a problem. Sorry, seven of their last nine now after after last night. But look. The way they're going, you can't have Simmons and Butler in the same team because they're both too good. Yeah. That you know, one's an expensive commodity. You have to get rid of one of them. Um. So one of them's going on the trade block soon, and 
Butler might be the one to take the fall because of how he's approached this. Well, that's what I was going to say. At what point... I know he's a great player to have in your team and, and probably any team in the NBA would love to have him there. At what point does having a player who causes situations like this, at what point does that become a disadvantage to the team? Do you think he is now a disadvantage? No. Dep- depends how bad it's gotten. You know, yeah. one one angry outburst can just be a moment in isolation. It shouldn't happen, and it's a bad thing to happen, but it can just be, you know, one moment in isolation, and, you know, yeah, that was not good. Put it behind us, move on. Um, but if this is something where he's stewing in the locker room, if he's bringing other guys down with him, then you, you got to ditch him. It's yeah. exactly the same with the Timberwolves. They should have gotten rid of him a lot sooner than they did. I wonder if Philadelphia are going to realize that that was the problem there and yeah. that they should uh, take, the, take the same approach. Well, like you say, the Sixers on a good run. It doesn't seem to be the case that he's, he's bringing the locker room down with him. So well, that's, that is true. We'll see how that plays out. Let's go to uh, some some other sort of trade news then. Patrick Mc, Patrick McCaw, sorry, he's uh, he's not been playing recently. He's not with a team at the minute. Am I right in saying that he's gaining a bit of interest? Yeah, four teams are in on him, um, including Cleveland, which is interesting because they're the ones who took him from Golden State and then immediately released him and are now under investigation for it, which is a whole other thing. That he he's a guy who can help teams down the stretch. He's a veteran who knows how to do it in the postseason. The one big thing is, will anybody claim him off waivers and take the hit, or will they wait for him to come an unrestricted free agent? Um, it's, it's just to see who bites first. I don't think he's, I don't think he's worth taking the risk of claiming him off waivers. Yeah. But then, of course, if you sit there and don't, then someone else could grab him first. So, um, it, that's just one that's interesting to keep an eye on, just to see if anybody jumps first. It's been a firing at the Timberwolves. Needed to happen. Um, Timberwolves came into the season as a team who should be challenging for the postseason. They're currently below five hundred, and Tom Thibodeau has Thibodeau, sorry, has uh, has taken the hit. That he dealt with Jimmy Butler really poorly. He hasn't got the team going on the court, and they had to make a change. So they have, and I'm not surprised that they have. My only surprise is it took them as long as they did. So he's now out as both head coach and president of basketball operations. Uh, interesting to see that Fred Hoiberg is being talked about as someone to take over, formerly of the Bulls. Yeah, The Bulls started this season so poorly, I thought Hoiberg would probably take a little bit of time out of the game, a bit more than what he has. But um, apparently they want him in. Maybe it's just one of those ones where a change of scenery would do him good and he could establish himself on a new team. But um, I think the Timberwolves should be thinking a bit higher than that, to be honest. And let's wrap up in Washington then. Not good news for the Wizards. John Wall is out for six to eight months. Yeah, a horrible year for Washington has just gotten even worse. John Wall, um, he's a combination of two injuries in his left heel and he's away for surgery on that. Um, it's interesting that there are a lot of rumours floating around that potentially his decision to go for the surgery now stem from the fact that the Wizards are having a shocking season that he just didn't want to play for the team anymore this year um, and he would rather be back for next next season instead um, they've disputed that but who knows uh, but that's just sort of confirmed that the Wizards are going to be sellers at the deadline because their playoff chances are minimal and walls out now. So uh, 
I think Washington are now going to go into fire sale mode and they're going to try and restock and rebuild for the next couple of years. So that is pretty much this week in NBA. Let's turn our attention to some ice hockey. So while we were taking some time off, we passed the halfway point in the NHL regular season. One team that has really, really, really impressed in the first half of the regular season, of course, is Tampa Bay, who are incredible. <laughs> Except they're not invincible. Well, uh, now that from from November the 29th to January the third, they went 15-0-1, and they outscored their opponents by an average of 2.1 goals a night. That that's ridiculous. Like that's unbelievable. Um, they were beaten. Finally, they were beaten for the first time in regulation in a month at San Jose uh, at the start of this week. But this team is a juggernaut at the moment. They're just unstoppable. Three guys are producing at more than a point a game in Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, and Steven Stamkos. They've got a 10-point lead in the Atlantic. They've got an 8-point lead in the league overall for the President's Trophy. Tampa Bay are just the best team. I did, like, let, let's not beat around the bush. They are the best team. They're going to go through a slump at some point, but it, I would say they're going to come out of it still with a healthy enough lead in the Atlantic, still with a healthy enough lead in the league. I uh, I don't think there's any reason to think that these guys aren't going to be the favourites for the Stanley Cup come the end of the end of the regular season. You're talking about them potentially going into a slump at some point. So they were beaten five two by San Jose, back to winning ways last night for them four 0 over Columbus. So if you th- like. You might have thought that the San Jose loss might be the start of it, sort of starting to tail off. Doesn't seem to be the case. No, I mean, um, give me one second. I'm just going to look up because they were playing last night. Tampa Bay. I think they beat the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Oh, they beat them four nothing. Um. Yeah, you thought that it might be the start of the tail-off, but now they come back and they thump the Columbus Blue Jackets 4 nothing last night. So it's one of those things where they suffer a small setback, just keep going. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of the biggest things. Whenever a team like that loses, you always look to see how they bounce back. That's a pretty convincing way to bounce back. And look, that San Jose game came at the end of what is usually a really tough um, road, road swing, if I can speak, in California. So, was there any surprise they lost there? Not really, but it looks like they're just back to winning ways against Columbus next week. So, they're very, very, very unsurprisingly top of their division. Let's go to the Pacific Division, where surprisingly, Calgary are sitting at the top. My biggest question is, are Calgary a legit contender? They lead, they lead the Pacific by two points from Vegas. They won five of their last seven. Johnny Gaudreau seems determined to carry this team to success by himself. Uh, he just seems to... He's just on one of those streaks at the moment where nobody can touch him. Um, but they do have some concerns. Like There's a pretty sharp drop-off from their top four forwards... Goudreau, Sean Monaghan, Elias Lindholm, and Matthew Kachuk to the rest. You know, you're talking like um, Backlund, Jankowski, guys like them. You know, you need more from your from your secondary forwards. And they need to make some trades to shore up the depth. If they can get a couple of guys in, they don't need to be superstars. They just need to be 
solid enough guys that you can slot into that lineup and it'll give you a little bit extra scoring or a little bit of help on the back end and this team immediately do become genuine contenders because if Kadro continues this form then he's going to end up as one of the best players in the league by the end of the season but the Flames at the moment even though they're top they're not wholly convincing yet but they could be uh, Winnipeg Jets then will go to the Western Conference. They are sitting top of the Western Conference, but they're starting to get a little bit injury hit there, aren't they? Yeah, they've got Dustin Bifulian, uh, I think I've pronounced that right, uh, and Nikolai Ehlers out. Um, what are you What are you rolling your eyes at? The dog's going mad again. Ah, uh, okay. Our biggest fan. Well, I don't know whether that's I don't know whether that's approval or not. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, they've got Dustin Bifulian and Nikolai Ehlers out, which isn't helpful. I mean, that's okay. They're only their top D-man, their top line left winger. Um, you know, not a big problem. Um, but like, whenever they're in a race with the Predators for the Central Division title, um, they've got a really tough January to navigate. They've got the Avalanche, the Ducks, Golden Knights, Predators, Stars, and Bruins all to come um so that there's a lot to for them to get through uh, and especially without those two guys it's it's big it's it's got to the stage where i think they need to bring someone in just as depth i yeah. don't they need to go out and trade for someone big similar to calgary they just need to get someone in as depth because they need another scorer in place of ellers they're they're their defense is okay without Bifulian. They could, they would happily do with them, but um, I, I think they need a, a score just in Eller's absence. Uh, you talk about them being in the race for the for the division with Nashville. They're starting to get a bit injury hit. It's the opposite for Nashville now. One of their key men is coming back. Yeah, Philip Forsberg is back for Nashville. <laughs> One thing I didn't realize is his importance is highlighted by the fact he leads the team in goals despite having not played since November 29th. <laughs> and he's still sixth in scoring with the team, having not played since November 29th. Like, Nashville, what have you been doing in that time that nobody's overtaken him? Like, he's so good, he's immediately going to slot back onto that top line with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. And that should boost those two as well. That's no disrespect to Kevin Fiala, who's a good, uh, good winger, He's just not at uh, Forsberg's level. And if that top line can get firing again, Nashville's depth is just so good that they'll get back to where they were before they went on that sort of rocky patch. And they should take the central division uh, like, like they did in the previous year. Uh, obviously, just around the corner then, we're getting to that stage of the season. The All-Star game is on. on it, it's approaching anyway. Uh, a lot of big names have been sort of mentioned for it. Two of them are dropping out, though. Yeah, Alex Ovechkin and Carey Price have withdrawn from the All-Star game. This is interesting because is this the start of the NHL All-Star game going down the same route as the NFL Pro Bowl where players don't care? There's a big difference between the NBA and the MLB All-Star games and the NHL All-Star game because the MLB, or because baseball and basketball, you rarely get injuries during a game. Yeah. And if you do get injuries, they're freak injuries. They're not, it's not like, you know, in hockey, you can ship a big hit. Yeah. And that can get you injured. 
Whereas in baseball, if you get injured, chances are it's because you twisted your ankle running to a base. Yeah. Or it's because... Pulled muscle you, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was going to happen in a game anyway. So, you know, the, the difference is hockey, you can still ship an injury in the All-Star game without taking it too seriously. Jonathan Boxall for the Belfast Giants shipped an injury in the Dundee Stars Challenge Cup game whenever the Giants were leading, I think, at the time, they were leading 12-0 on aggregate. Yeah. So, you know, it's, a, it's that kind of thing where you don't you don't want to play and risk anything. Plus, Ovechkin has played so much hockey this year. Like, he, to, he played every game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's played practically every game this year for the Caps. You know, he's prioritizing his own personal health over playing in the All-Star game. They will take a hit. They both have to be punished for missing the game by missing one of their team's games, either directly before or after the All-Star game. Yeah. So, you know, they, they can't just withdraw and go, ah, I'm, I'm away, see you later. Um, they do have to take a, a punishment for it. But I think, particularly in the case of Ovechkin, it's a smart move just to kind of yeah. Take, take a step back. I've played a lot of hockey. Let's get as big a break as I can. Um, and Price, you know, backup is probably going to play one game anyway. So. It, I mean, to an extent, it is kind of, it's a shame because players like Ovechkin are players that you go to see in the All-Star game. I understand his reasons for, for taking that step back and stuff. And obviously they've got sort of postseason aspirations, which he wants to keep himself healthy for. But I'd love to see him in the All-Star game. Oh, of course you would. And I don't want this to start to become the norm. I don't want guys to start pulling out of the All-Star game on a regular basis. It's something you see so regularly in, in football, isn't it? Exactly. If it happens, it happens. I prefer it didn't happen. But I, I can understand why Ovechkin would would take this, this path. And Price. We're forgetting about Price. Well, Ovechkin yeah. One, though. But uh, Price. Price is also big. Let's quickly go to Ottawa, the Senators. They've made a trade for Anders Nilsson. Yeah, brought in Anders Nilsson. They needed a bit of goaltending help with uh, Craig Anderson out injured. Didn't have to give up much for Nilsson. They've uh, solidified that goaltending tandem. I I don't think it's going to take them too far. I think this is just a way of being a stopgap for the moment. But Nilsson can take them forward going through a few years. So... um, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a smart pickup for them, and I think Va- Vancouver have now left themselves a bit short on goaltending help. But you might you might wonder if they'll go for maybe someone in the draft because of this, or maybe if they'll uh, they're planning a big trade or a big free agent acquisition for next year. Um, obviously it is the US Sports Hub podcast. We don't stick strictly to US Sports all the time. Let's quickly talk about the World Juniors, which happened just sort of after the Christmas period. I really want to talk about this because Finland won it. It wasn't one of the, the usual big stars, you know. Yeah. It wasn't SA or Canada or Russia. It was Finland, and I was delighted by this because not only was it not Canada or USA, Finland beat Canada in the USA to win. Uh, they beat Canada in the quarterfinals two one in overtime. They beat the US in the final three two. Both thrilling games, and then Switzerland also managed to reach the bronze medal game by upsetting Sweden in the quarterfinals. So, um, I mean, whoa, this is incredible. Uh, I absolutely love it when uh, the World Juniors comes on because you get to see the future. And it's great to see that potentially, if a lot of these guys go forward for Finland, they uh, they could have a chance at being dark horses for, say, the Winter Olympics in four years or something like that. 
Um, but it's it's great to see, you know, that they the young guys have so much passion for the game, and it's great to see some of the young guys who could make it into the NHL a bit earlier in their careers. So yeah, well done to Finland. Before we wrap up, let's talk about some baseball. Right now. Yep, so obviously it's the off-season, not too much happening in the MLB, but spring, spring training is sort of fast approaching. It's just around the corner, really, and uh, some of the big moves are starting to happen now, aren't they? Yep, um, one of the big ones is the White Sox have brought in Kelvin Herrera. Um, he'd been utterly dominant with Kansas to start last season, but his form fell apart whenever he uh, was traded to Washington, where he somehow became homer-prone, having never been homer-prone in the rest of his career. But look, Still a quality addition to that bullpen. He's going to pair with Alex Colmey and a healthy Nate Jones of what is an now dangerous-looking relief core. I don't think that's going to be a deciding factor for potentially signing either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. But bringing in John Jay might be because while he's not an eye-catching addition for his on-field play. He's he's going to be, at best, a platoon with Adam Engel in center field for the White Sox. But one of the big things is he trains with Manny Machado in the off-season. So I think the White Sox are doing everything they can to get Machado in. Um, and I think Jay... It, it's a bit... It, it's a bit rude to say it, but I think Jay's signing is purely was yeah. purely for Machado purposes. Well, we talked about this before. Where is he going to go? So you think the destination might be the White Sox then? I think the more moves the White Sox make and the fact that they have offered a formal contract to him already, I think the White Sox are leading the way. Uh, let's go to the Brewers who had a bit of a postseason run last year. They are talking about the acquisition of Madison Bumgarner with the Giants. Yeah, this is an interesting one because the Brewers do need to upgrade the top end of their rotation. There's no question about that. Bob Gardner's an interesting one, though, because he's had injury problems. He, he is an outstanding pitcher. He is an ace whenever he's healthy. But he's had so many injury problems. Can you trust that he will get back to that level? He would only be a cap hit of $12 million, which would be a steal for what he could give you. But it's, it's, it's purely down to his health. And the fact that the Giants are also holding out for one of Milwaukee's young starters is the headline of the return. They're wanting one of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, or Freddie Peralta. It's a big it's a big return to give up because yeah. they're going to have to give up something more uh, on top of that as well. But, I mean, you, you're taking a big gamble. If he stays healthy, he can be the ace in that rotation, no problem. If he's not then you've just wasted, you've just lost one of your young starters and you've taken a cap hit for someone you knew was an injury risk going Yeah, in. Big call for the Brewers to make. Uh, very quickly want to point out the fact that I just learned this morning that Madison Bumgarner's nickname is Mad Bum. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's something I've learned this morning. Let's go to the Indians. Um, the Indians have brought in Kevin Ploiecki. Uh, not much to say about this one, to be perfectly honest. He's just going to solidify those catching core because... Um, but now they've lost Jan Gomes so yeah he's just going to be a solid guy behind the dish um, and they didn't have to give up much for him either which is very impressive so good good, uh, good acquisition from them in my opinion uh, the Yankees have been making some moves too Yankees have re-signed Zach Britton uh, which is a big thing because he just slots nicely into that setup 
the setup for the Yankees with Dallin Batances and Chad Green. And it looks like they're going to get Adam Ottavino too. So that's they're just compiling another brilliant bullpen in New York, which is really scary for the rest of the AL East. Um, and you've got to remember, Britain was exceptional with Baltimore. You know, he, he had a 77.9% ground ball rate, a 1.38 ERA, and he converted 120 of 128 saves, which is otherworldly. And then whenever he came to the Yankees last year, uh, he gave them half a season of 2.88 ERA. So, you know, that's amazing. Add on to that that they brought in Troy Tulowitzki, who they got for a bargain at 555k for the year, like for a former five-time All-Star, that's unreal. Like yeah. I'm not, I know he was gaining a lot of traction from other teams, but the Yankees seemed to have just jumped in first and gone, "Yep, we'll go for you." He'll fill in for Didi Gregorius for the first half of the season at least, while uh, Gregorius is injured, and they still have the room to go for Machado if they can. Uh, step in and take him away from the White Sox he'd go back to third base where he was with the Orioles so uh, still plenty of moves from New York to come. And last but not least we'll go to the Phillies Yeah, another bullpen acquisition it was a big week for bullpen guys um, Yeah, he's been one of baseball's most consistent relievers four straight years of sub 350 uh, ERA ball and he's going to pair with Sir Anthony Dominguez at the tail end of that bullpen. I think they're, they're talking about playing him in sort of a fluid role. He'll come in whenever they feel they need him most, as opposed to either you're a setup man or you're a closer. So that's going to be interesting to watch. But, you know, that's, that's another one where the Phillies have been linked with Machado and Harper. It's another one where a team's making a big free agent acquisition to say, we're ready to compete. You want to come and join us? So... I think a lot of the acquisitions this this week, well, most of them are good for you know for the teams. Like Britain's a good acquisition, Robertson's a good acquisition on their own. But I think they they definitely got in the back of their mind, we want to get someone else in, and this is a way of saying, look at how we compete. You can really see it starting to sort of pick up pace now, can't you? As we approach the season. Well, you can because at this stage, agents are either reducing the asking price on their on their players which means teams suddenly start becoming interested in them or teams keep playing hardball with uh, with their players and they suddenly start to fall behind in the market so it's, it's interesting to see how how it uh, plays out because i think machado is going to sign very soon or all all the uh all the signs are he's getting ready to sign and Harper's just quietly sitting there letting the offers roll in and seeing how things go. Those are those are still the two big ones. Those are still the two big ones that we're waiting on. So that pretty much does it for today then. That is yeah. the first one of 2019 done and Woo. out of the way. We're heading into a big weekend obviously for the NFL so we'll definitely be back next week to talk about that. And Absolutely. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start talking to some local teams and stuff like that too. We've already got the first one lined up. The guys from the, the Belfast North Stars baseball team are going to go down to one of their uh, their winter training sessions and get a chat with those guys. Uh, so that should be fun. And what have you got planned for the rest of the week? Then obviously the, the ice hockey happening in Belfast this weekend is going to be incredible. Yeah, You'll no doubt be there. Up this week, I will be there every day. Ulster plans Saturday and I'm just getting ready for... Uh... No, I'm just getting ready for the hockey, to be honest. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. Giants Giants could be the first club team in Northern Ireland 
since uh, Ulster in 1999 to win a European title. Fingers crossed, Willem. It's would it... be massive. Big weekend ahead for the Giants. Good luck to the guys. We've got our fingers crossed for them. The games are going to be amazing. Adam, we will let you crack on. Thanks again for spending your morning with us and, and giving us your insightful knowledge into uh, all things American sports. Always a pleasure, even though I can tell you're lying. And we will chat to you. I'm not lying. I don't do that. We'll chat to you next week. Have a good one, mate. You too.